right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I am a licensed clinician, and uh, I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders. So welcome to The Fearcast for all of y'all who are new. Um, This is a question and answer based podcast where you, the listener, can send me, the therapist, questions about OCD and anxiety treatment. And, And again, I say OCD, but I also mean anxiety. So social anxiety and fear of heights and fear of buttons and all sorts of stuff. So um, anything within the anxiety spectrum disorder, which also includes OCD. So um, you can send me a question. I will uh, see it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. So this episode is going to be slightly different. This episode, I have a guest on. Her name is Erin Ramachandran, and she, along with her husband, Keith, founded Mental Health Strong. So that you can find more information about them at mentalhealthstrong.com. This is a nonprofit group focusing on on addressing the needs that couples have facing mental health and addiction crises and addiction issues. So, so I was lucky enough to have Aaron on the show to chat about uh, to chat about uh, mental health strong and to chat about what uh, what couples can do uh, to help in the midst of their struggle. So, by the way, I've also asked her, and she said that she is comfortable that if you comfortable answering questions. So, if you after listening to this episode have questions about couples and and uh, if you are in a couple where someone is experiencing mental health or and or addiction issues and you have questions for Aaron, um, you can uh, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can send a question there. And if you spe- specify, specifically mention, specify that uh, you would like uh, you would like to uh, have uh, Aaron answer this question, um, note it there. And uh, she's been so kind to say that she'll be back on the show if uh, uh, any questions arise. So before. Before I get into that episode, let me tell you a little bit about Aaron. Aaron holds a master's degree in healthcare administration, is a certified mental health first aid instructor, and is an award-winning author. She has worked for over 13 years at one of the largest nonprofit health plans in the United States and is currently a mental health and wellness program director there. Outside of work, Aaron enjoys traveling, swimming, mentoring, watching movies, and speaking on matters pertaining to mental health, marriage, and faith. She's passionate about helping marriages affected by mental health challenges. So without further ado, here's my interview with Aaron Ramachandran. everybody. I want to introduce Erin Ramachandran, and she is the founder uh, with her husband. She's the founder of Mental Health Strong. Uh, so welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'm really excited to have you on just to talk about your your journey, your experience, and your advocacy for couples within the mental health sphere, within addiction sphere, and, and kind of reaching that group of folks and trying to help them uh, build it sounds like build tighter bonds within the relationship because uh, a tighter bond within a relationship will obviously help the development and longevity of the relationship and the mental health condition itself. So, so before we just jump in, could you give us a little bit of an overview of what is Mental Health Strong and tell me why you started it? Absolutely. So Mental Health Strong is an, a new nonprofit to bring hope, resources, and support to marriages and mental health conditions. Um, it really came out of a, the book that I wrote a couple years ago, and that came out of my own journey in our marriage where 
we've been married for over 14 years. When we got married, both of us didn't know. My husband had a mental health condition. Later, he was diagnosed with five different disorders. And through that journey, it impacted our marriage where we were having over a decade of difficult years. And when I looked to resources, when I went to the marriage resources, they talked about meeting each other's needs, which normally would sound very healthy. Um, But what happens when your spouse can't meet their needs because they're having trouble meeting their own needs? And then when I went to the mental illness resources, a majority of them were about the parent, a single parent mostly, taking care of a child or a couple taking care of their child and how to help with their child with the mental illness. So a lot of these venues, I couldn't get the help that I needed. And through prayer and other means of talking to people, it was like, well, why don't you do something about it? And so that's the journey I was on. I I wasn't setting out to write a book. I wasn't setting out to start a nonprofit, but really feel like it's a, a gap and want to be able to help others with it. One of the things um, through the research, I found a worldwide study that was done across um, over 20 countries, um, all different socioeconomics um, status. And in that, it said that if there's a mental health condition uh, within the marriage, that you are 20 to 80 percent likely to get divorced the 20 percent if it's like a phobia or something simple uh or more simple and uh, the 80 percent was a severe mental health condition which is schizophrenia bipolar ocd uh major depressive disorder or panic disorder and so when i looked at that i was like oh my gosh my husband and i are 80 percent likely to get a divorce Mm. and what if we don't want to. So when I took those vows in sickness and health, sickness means cancer or a brain disorder, which is what this is. And if I were to get cancer, would Keith leave me? Mm. No. So why am I going to leave him if he's now been diagnosed with OCD? So that was the journey we were on. And it's been quite a journey, but, um, you know, out of our pain, we both hope that we can help others and give couples the hopes that if we can make it, any other marriage can make it. Mm. That's fantastic. Just the, to to have each other's back in that sense. And I think you're. I, I think you're right. A lot of people, when they say those vows, they <laughs> they don't think it's it's mental health. I mean, yeah. I, I think we hear this about this a lot. There's a lot of folks who don't really take into account the mental health components of things. So it's, you know, it is it kind of takes this backseat sort of thing, but you're absolutely right. The in sickness and in health is both physical and mental. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in all transparency and vulnerability, I've had seasons where I have filled out divorce papers because I just it was too difficult. And when I fill them out, there's actually a box that says unstable mind. Ooh. So it was like the marriage could be justifiable if the person has an unstable mind, which just shows the difficulty that can be in it. That's kind of shocking. I had no idea. Yep. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that's going to be shocking to the majority of the listeners as well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just something that, again, I think where couples are finding comfort in it 
is just a couple that's being very vulnerable about what it's like. And the only way the relationship can work is actually if both parties do their work. So it's not just on the person with the mental health condition and it's not on all on the person that doesn't have the condition. It's about both of them tackling the condition together. And that's the way the relationship can work. Mm, tell me a little bit more about that, if you could. I, I think the, the, a lot of times we think that the the mental health struggle is in the is in the corner of the person experiencing it, whereas what yeah. you're talking about, it sounds like, is there's work to be done from both from both partners. Can you tell me tell, tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'll give you an example of what happened. So through my journey, I've been feeling a, uh, lonely in the relationship where I'm going to things alone or feeling abandoned because maybe he's not able to get out of the house. And then he's feeling stuck in his own mind because he has obsessive compulsive disorder and can be ruminating on his thoughts or, or struggle to function. And it was a pivotal point in our marriage where I said, I feel so alone in this. Mm. And he's like, I feel so alone in fighting this. And it was like, oh my goodness, we both feel so alone. And if there was a way that we could use that and say, wow, we both feel alone. And how can we use that to say, how do we not feel alone together in this? Was that difficult to admit that both of you individually were feeling alone? It was. I I think we both in our own minds only thought about the pain we were both individually experiencing. Mm. Rather than being able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes about what they were experiencing. And it's easy to put a scapegoat on the condition or the person with the condition. I can tell you from the person that doesn't have the condition, it's very easy to blame everything on it. Um, And that's one of the things that I've learned is how to separate the illness from the person and also to know that things that are struggling in the relationship are not always just a part of the illness, that sometimes it's just differences in personality or differences in gender, all the normal, what we would call quote unquote normal relationship challenges. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Mental Health Strong both focuses on mental health conditions and addiction challenges. Um, Can you tell us about how how those two impact a relationship? Absolutely. So the reason why we called out addictions is many people don't realize that like a substance use disorder for alcohol or let's say drugs of some sort, illegal drugs, is actually a mental health condition. Uh, You know, there's so much stigma around it. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why we called it out is because those are also disorders. Uh, What we also find with putting addictions is there's also a thing called behavioral addictions, which those aren't in the quote unquote uh, DSM, which is the the medical book that talks about what is a a medical condition versus, you know, something else. Um, But we find a lot of the same challenges in a relationship that occur with those. So examples of those might Mm -hmm. be a video game addiction, or let's say an addiction with working out or anything that is extreme that's impacting the relationship. And a lot of times 
if again, if it's not a diagnosable condition that's in the medical field, a lot of times it's a coping mechanism to pain and hurt and trauma and grief um, that's been undiagnosed or unprocessed and then patterns are created with it. Um, but unfortunately, it still impacts the relationship in the same similar ways where someone's having trouble to get a handle on it and the other person feels like they can't rely on the other person. And then you both get in this, what we call a dysfunctional cycle um, between the two of you. And so learning that dysfunctional cycle of both people, what are you doing both on a short-term and long-term standpoint and how you're being triggered by one another is really important so that you can try to stop the cycle um, from continuing to get worse. And then you become less connected, less intimacy, and end up being roommates. Mm, right. Kind of, it, it sounds like that uh, kind of distancer type of relationship where people just run and become isolative within their own coping skills rather than leaning on the other person. Correct. Or in this case, there were times where Keith struggles to be able to be there for me not because he doesn't want to be but because he's just trying to figure out how to function in himself so then I have to learn not that oh my gosh he's hurting me because he's not able to be there for me or meet my needs I have to then say my husband has a medical condition that's very severe and how do I accept that's where he is on his own healing journey and how can I help get my needs met in other ways um, that are healthy so that I'm not triggering my husband and making him worse? How do you how have you found to draw that distinction? Because that that idea of being able to take care of your own needs while or how do you find that line between taking care of your own needs in an appropriate manner and not taking care of your own needs in that isolative manner? Trial and error. Trial and error. Okay. <laughs> in, all, in all honesty. Um, so I, I, in my own journey, it's been a spectrum. So I've done where I completely stay busy and kind of distract myself and, and keep myself emotionally distant. And then I can swing all the way to the other end where I care so much. I'm trying to control and fix and solve the solution. So where I've now, after I've done a lot of work to get healthier and I haven't arrived, right? That's a lifelong journey, but it's more in this case of how do I accept that he has an illness? He's on his own recovery journey. He wants to do the things with me. Many times we are able to, but many times he's not as well. And how do I accept that? feel the emotions when he's not able to do something that we've agreed for him to do and deal with that disappointment, but not numb it where I'm not even acknowledging that it happens and then learning how to set boundaries so that I'm not getting emotionally toyed every time he might be struggling with something with the condition. Mm -hmm. So I would love to get a cookie cutter answer, but I think it is a journey because there's so many factors that play into a relationship, not only the dynamic of the relationship, the dynamic of the condition or the illness, and then the dynamics of the past and the triggers that each person brings into the relationship. Um, so there's all those factors. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a lot, a lot of layers to consider as you're trying to get connected with this person, taking into account all those things. 
Right. Yeah. Right. So from your book, Mental Health Strong, and from your website, Mental Health Strong, talk about eight different points that, uh, uh, that, that, or eight central points to your program or your approach. Can you yeah. walk me through those? Absolutely. So when I, when I looked at my own journey, uh, it seemed to be eight different steps. Now, these are not chronological steps, but they are the steps that kind of worked for me. Um, and so they came out in the eight steps and they stand for mental health strong. So it's MH strong. So the first step is M, which is make the diagnosis clear. Uh, now I realize that 50% of people don't get diagnosed, but the idea is you are, if you actually know the diagnosis that is in the relationship that really helps you mm-hmm. many people. And even in our own marriage, um, don't want, may not want to get diagnosed because they don't like the label, but just like with cancer, you know, that, or diabetes, if you have the right diagnosis, it helps you get the right treatment. So it's really important to encourage your loved one to get that. Uh, A lot of people say, well, what if my spouse doesn't want to get diagnosed? Mm -hmm. What do you do? Uh, And that happened in our own marriage. So uh, we were in our first year of marriage. We both didn't know what's going on. He was cleaning up to 12 to 16 hours a day at his worst time. And I had all these expectations of being married and thinking that we were going to, you know, do life together. And it was like, I was asking my friends, what is a normal time to do X, put the dishes away or whatever. And we kept going back to, well, it sounds like OCD, but none of us knew what OCD was. And so then I basically said to him, you know, Keith, I love you. I want to be married to you, but this really seems like it's something more. And I think you need to go to the doctors. I want to give you 30 days to go to the doctors. And if you don't go to the doctors, like I'm going to need to move out because I just can't do this anymore. Um, And, you know, on the last day he went to the doctors, the doctor talked to him for two minutes. He was diagnosed with OCD. It was like cut and dry case. Mm. So that first step of making the diagnosis clear Sometimes it takes the other person to basically say, I'm seeing these signs and symptoms. I'm seeing this. I'm noticing this. And you're allowed to say, I'm not, I can't live with this anymore. Like that's something the person in my role is able to say. Um, And then the other person has to choose on what they want to do with that. So that's what the making the diagnosis clear is helpful with. Yeah. So just to take a quick sidestep, did you notice any of these symptoms of, of cleaning of, of, of OCD prior to the marriage? Because the way you kind of described it is, you know, you had this first year of marriage and you had all this optimism. It was great. But all of a sudden he was doing all this stuff. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one I get asked often, I think, because people don't want to see a couple in pain, especially in that first year of marriage. Um, But the reality is that he didn't know he had it and I didn't know he had it. And what made it get out of control was three months before we got married, he got disowned by his family. My husband comes from the Indian culture. He's an only child. He's from the highest caste. Uh, And so him being disowned basically shut off his emotions and created trauma in his life that Mm. he wasn't uh, aware of. Now, looking back as a child, he notices that he had OCD tendencies and OCD things in his life, even as a child, but it was with his schoolwork. 
but it wasn't until that trauma that exasperated it to where he wasn't able to function anymore. Um, so that was really the change of what happened. And we both didn't notice it because three months before we got married, he moved to another location. And so we, we both just didn't know. Mm, so it kind of served as a, a surprise for everybody. Yeah, it was a surprise for everybody. Right. Yeah. So if I go into the second step, yeah, which is uh, H, help for you and then your spouse, I put help for you first because just like with an airplane, you know, and you're in a disaster, you have to put on your own mask first before you help somebody else. Now, my guess is that it's probably the opposite order because you try to help the other person first a lot of times. Um, but what I'm trying to point out in this step is you really got to help yourself first. So it might be working on maybe how you're dealing with the disappointment. It mm. might be how do you set up boundaries? It might be that you need to work through your own past and hurts and trauma that you've had. Uh so the idea and getting the help around you. So for me, I got um, therapy around me. I had support groups. I had celebrate recovery. I went to uh, so a lot of different things to kind of put people around me to support me as I was trying to support Keith. Mm. When you work with couples and, and you get to this step, do you see a lot of um, a, a lot of guilt in the partner who's not who's not diagnosed i in terms of do you feel that they think that they're not supposed to get self or self-care or not supposed to get help for themselves but it should be about the other person i'm not noticing that as much but that might be because in our support group we set it up where when we do introductions i have everybody say what they're needing to work on themselves mm -hmm. before they talk about the diagnosis of their loved one and i do that for that particular reason i think i am responsible for my actions my choices my words my behaviors my thoughts i cannot control those for keith and so therefore that's the only help we can do at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. And then each person has a choice on what they're going to live with and not live with and what they're willing or not willing to do. So I'm not saying at all that someone should endure, take on everything with the condition, not set up any boundaries, you know, have abuse happen to them. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying get the help you need in order to figure out, can you stay healthy in the relationship if your spouse is not healthy? That's brilliant to just to, to create that as the basic frame of it. That it's right. not, here's this thing we're going to add to it, or here's something to consider. It's this is part of the basic structure of this approach. Exactly. Exactly. And I can't take credit for it. Um, you know, AA, Celebrate Recovery, those sort of things. It's all about, you know, saying I statements and what you struggle with. So, mm -hmm. I, I'm using that same framework that's worked for, you know, decades, right? Of I struggle with anger and codependency. Like that's the things I've got to be working on and continue to keep at the forefront. Uh, just like my husband has to say, I, you know, I struggle with compulsions and depression and whatever. And if we both focus on that, then it evens the playing field rather than this one person higher and one person lower. 
Right. Incidentally, you talked about boundaries just a moment ago, and it turns <laughs> out that's the next step. Yep. So, so step three is set some boundaries. And I would assume for those who are listening that you have a loved one or a friend or somebody who has a mental health condition. And as you know, there are times where they can um, function and, and meet the expectations and there's sometimes they can't. Um, and that's the same with all of us, right? We're all human and we let people down, right? And that's the basis of it. But setting boundaries is when you're seeing that the same thing is happening over and over again and you're losing your mind, how do you get yourself um, from not engaging in that cycle. So I'll use a real life example for us. So um, my husband struggles with time management. Uh, and so let's say we have a function to go to a dinner, a friend's party, etc., or church. Uh, and there might be a time where we need to go. And so we'll agree on the time. And then if he's not ready, I leave. And it's not an argument. It's, you know, sometimes he'll be asking me to wait but I don't have to engage in that conversation. The answer is no, I am leaving the engagements there. Now, if I have the ability to wait, I may do that, but that's a choice I can make in the moment, but I'm going to set the boundary that if being to things on time is important for me, that I'm able to leave and he had choices to make and he wasn't able to get himself ready. Um, so that's like a real life scenario that, every day impacts us and um, it makes it where I'm not frustrated when I'm leaving. I'm disappointed that he didn't make it, mm -hmm. but I've already prepared myself that it's not intentional. You know, he wanted to make it. He just struggled with his compulsive thoughts that day. Right. It's that it, that absolutely addresses something I, I hear from couples and families and parents of uh, of a loved one, is that they, it, and you didn't use this language, but they almost feel like they're at they're the victim, or they are they or they're they're playing victim to this OCD. The OCD is kind of keeping everybody hostage, yep. and you know everyone has to uh, work around or do whatever the OCD says. And kind of what you're saying here is you are putting boundaries at, into what you're willing to do and not willing yep. to do, regardless Correct. of what OCD has to say that day. Correct. And that even happened last night. So last night we were supposed to go to a friend's house and he wasn't ready. I left. He wanted me to stay. Um, and I said, no. And um, I left and had a nice evening. And then um, the friend we were going to meet. So it was like two people we were meeting. One of them ended up in coming to him, you know, and he had a nice evening with the person. But again, for my own mental health, for my own peace, I needed to leave so that I didn't get angry. How for for you? How is that? How have you and Keith worked through this step in terms of setting this firm boundary? Because I can imagine someone listening to this and, and thinking about their partner in this. It, I, I can imagine them feeling like that's going to be putting a wedge between them or that's going to be so you know, I, I'm hearing people here say selfish or it's all, you know, something, something to that for it's not caring. I'm not saying that about you, certainly, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I can hear I could hear people say that how, how did you figure this out for you for you two yeah it's such a good point because i would say in the beginning of our journey with this he would feel and sometimes he still does uh that my boundaries feel controlling to him mm -hmm. 
And so what I say to him is, this isn't about you. It's about me. Mm -hmm. So when we're late, it makes me anxious. It makes me upset. It makes me where I say words that I don't. And so I need to do the best things for me so that I can stay the healthiest. So I turn it into boundaries are about me and what I'm willing and not willing to do, as you had said, Mm -hmm. versus controlling as trying to control the other person. I'm not trying to control Keith. I'm trying to live in a relationship where sometimes he's not able to do certain things. And then I can also, what I've also, we've also done is we check it with our therapists. You know, is this a reasonable boundary? Sometimes I have not made reasonable boundaries and he'll push back on me and say, that's not reasonable. And I think that's healthy in a relationship too. Like both people have a voice and he can say, Nope, that's too hard. Nope. And so then we have to renegotiate of what makes sense. So again, it's tricky with OCD because OCD wants to like manipulate and pull, right? So you got to figure out what's, what's reasonable, what's OCD (laughs) and figure out what works. So it takes, it takes time to figure it out and that's okay. You just keep working it. Yeah. And, and, and I love that added bit of trying to incorporate the therapist into that to try to yeah. have have a, a third party voice to help moderate or mediate the discussion of those boundaries. Totally. Absolutely. Right. And we need that because sometimes we're so emotionally invested in it. It's good to have a third party who can just, is this reasonable? Is it not reasonable? Mm-hmm. And then to figure out when you're not able to figure it out. Right. So. Well, let's move on to T in Mental Health Strong. So the fourth step is T, take time for self-care. And this one is basically that if your partner is not able to be around that much, you might be doing things alone. Uh, And so how do you make sure that you're filled up? If you are empty, then you're going to have more reactions when the person disappoints you. And again, they're not doing it intentionally. I'm sure if you asked everybody with a mental health condition, they would hope that they didn't have it. Just like I'm sure someone who has cancer would hope that they didn't have cancer Mm -hmm. or diabetes. So take time for self-care is really about what are the things that fill you up and give you energy. And a wise woman in my life had actually said, Aaron, make a list before of all the things you can do when you're not feeling well. That's a healthy list that you can do easily. Like don't put travel to Europe. Like you can't do that in the moment, but do realistic things. And that way that list is there when your brain's not working, that you can just go to the list and pick one of what would be rejuvenating. So for me, that's swimming, that's taking walks. It's being with friends. It's watching movies, going to the beach, uh, just specific tangible ways that fill me up. It can also be listening. I, I use the Abide app or there's Calm or My Strength. Um, I turn the fountain on or listen to calming music. So anything that can help fill you up. That's brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I love that, that, that advice of doing things that you can do almost at the drop of a hat. Right. right, And sometimes I'll even recommend for folks to have a couple of lists of things that they can do at the house, things that they can do out and about if they are not, uh, if they don't have access. Because if I'm at work, I can't take a bath. Right. 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 So having some of those different lists and uh, of things that I can do in this location. So that's fantastic. Totally. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me about this next, this next step. This one seems um, incredibly important. 
So the next step is R, remember to grieve. And this was kind of a game changer for me and something I learned later in the journey. I always thought grief was about death. And what I learned is that grief is actually when your expectation is different than what's actually happening or that there's a loss. And I would think that many people who are listening to this in their relationships, there was an expectation of what they thought the relationship would be. And then there's a reality of what it is. There might've been loss of jobs. There might've been loss of maybe having children. There might've been loss of um, expectations or dreams or different things. And when we don't deal with that grief, it comes out in, in different ways. And so for me, what, for me, it came out in, in crying a lot or anger. Mm-hmm. And once I worked through my grief, there was a lot of healing where you can get to acceptance, but you have to go to that painful part. And grieving doesn't mean that you don't love your loved one. Grieving's just that life is different than what you thought. And I, I, I would guess that they have to grieve on how you've hurt them too. And that's okay. So the idea is giving people the freedom that it's okay to work through the emotions associated with your losses. Um, one of the evidence-based ways of grief that's out there is a method called the grief recovery method. It's been out for about 25 years and just a really amazing process that you can work through in six to eight weeks um, to help someone grieve. So, or help yourself grieve. And there's a book. Um, so that's something that really helped me. Um, I also worked with a therapist and I've been to a grief retreat cause there's been multiple things I've had to grieve. Um, but just learning that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having to do that. Right. And, and it, it's okay to be sad about the, the loss of that fantasy that you had of, of here's, right. the, here's the way things are supposed to be, or things are they, they, the way they should have been. Um, you know, so, so often I see the a, a added struggle in couples and in, in, in therapy, when people are holding on to this expectation of no, it should be like this and trying to stuff reality into this box that it's never going to get into because the the Venn diagram of what they want and what they think the world should be, they're two separate circles. Yep, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. It, it, that, it, so tell me about this next step then, the O step. Oh, uh, it's own the journey uh, and try to bring safety, peace, and humor into the home. Mm-hmm. So the idea is own the journey. There's going to be ups, downs, ins, or outs. Uh, it's a it's a journey. So to not get really discouraged on the low lows and don't get really hopeful on the high highs, just know that it's going to be up and downs. What we find in these type of relationships and our support group and talking with couples is that there's more extremes in these type of relationships. So there's more crises and then there's more kind of elevation of that. And that's okay. I think just knowing that and to know that there's also relapses are common and to not be scared of relapses, but to prepare for them and to use the crises and the relapses as a, as a step to move the relationship forward. Um, that's really important for us. So, and I have uh, permission to share our, our stories and insights of our stories. But like when my husband was suicidal, it was like using that as a platform to do the next level of care that he needed in that season. 
but not to get discouraged that everything's going to fall apart. So the idea is use the crisis to move you forward and then to try in your environment to bring that safety, humor, and peace. How Think about that. How do you bring safety into your home where everybody feels safe? Mm. How do you bring peace where everybody wants to be in the home? They want to be in the relationship. And how do you bring humor? Like, how do you laugh at the condition? Like, we have times where we'll say, you know, a funny thing about OCD or do a little dance. You know, it's like bring humor into the relationship because you have to. I mean, both of you don't like the condition. So, can you make fun of it or have a pet name for it? Um, different things to help the relationship with it. That was, as you were talking about that, I was, I was curious about how you and Keith bring humor into it because... You know, with, with all the pain and struggle and, and stress that goes on in treatment and just in life with, with anxiety, it, it doesn't feel like it, I mean, it, it's hard to find humor. What are, what are some of the specific things that you two have done to find humor in it? And, and do you have any pet names for OCD? We do. <laughs> so, you don't have to say uh, anything if you don't want to. <laughs> no, 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 you can. So uh, the a funny scenario we had is uh, I had some girls over that I mentor, some college girls, and they use some blankets. And when they left, they said, well, where do we need to put the blankets? I'm like, well, just throw them in that bin. Keith won't know. Like we never use these. It's no big deal. So Keith comes home and he's like, something changed. (laughs) And I started laughing. I was like, you're kidding me. He's like, no, something changed. And he like looked and he opened the bin. He's like, the blankets were you. <laughs> we just started laughing. And he said, Keith always finds out, you know, like you can't touch anything in this house without him knowing. So that's a way that we both laughed about it. And I texted the girls and we just had a hoot. Um, one of the things we do to connect um, is when just, we want to connect and feel like we both love each other. We, um, we went on a vacation where there was these little otters and so now we have this little otter dance. So we'll say, you want an otter hug? And we'll we'll hold each other and kind of do this dance around together and, and just something really cute that means a lot to both of us. And then um, our name for OCD um, is one where we call it Focked. So F the OCD. Oh, <laughs> so that's our that's our 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 pet name for it um i'd love to say we have a different one but that is the one that we use um i think because we both don't like the disorder and it's been destructive in both of our lives so right right um and uh i'm 100 percent fine using pirate language to describe things (laughs) sometimes that's the only word that we can use to describe the feeling and situation that we're in Right, right, exactly. Oh man, exactly. That so, if anybody's offended on the, the podcast, my apologies. It, it <laughs> but that's ha- real emotion. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 hasn't been as offensive to to warrant a, a you know notice tag on this. I think it'll still be safe for little ears. So, <laughs> um, well, so you, you in in your explanation of kind of owning the journey, you also talked about expecting relapses, which again, incidentally, it is is part of this next uh, second to last step. Can you tell me about the N? Yeah. So step seven is, and not again, expect relapses. And, uh, when the book came out, my mom said, that's my favorite step. Um, and, and I guess this one really resonates with people because it really shows like there's pain in this and it's a cycle and it's almost like, 
you're making progress forward and you're like, but something might happen again. And so there's that fear and hesitation. So what we try to do is share, do you have a plan for what that relapse looks like? What do you do when that relapse happens? Whether that might be a hospital visit or let's say someone's in jail or let's say someone wants a separation or divorce. Like what do you do in those scenarios? Who do you call? Who's your support team? Um, If someone's suicidal, what do you do? So just having a plan and knowing that it's not personal. It's just when there's enough stressors going on at once that a relapse can happen and it's sometimes out of your control. It's part of the process. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Part yeah. of the process. Yeah. Uh, anxiety, just, I think mental health recovery life. It's all about, it's a two steps forward, one step back approach, totally. but you know, in the aggregate, it is one step forward provided we just keep pushing forward. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, tell me about this, the, the, the last step. Yeah, so the last step, the eight step is G, the gift of mental health. And, you know, we really believe, both Keith and I, that not only our marriage, but other marriages and relationships, you can have a very healthy relationship, even if there's a mental health condition in the mix. But it requires both people to to work at it together. And we also believe that each couple has a unique purpose for their relationship. There's only one instance of you together with the two of you. And so identifying what is that gift? What is that thing you can give back to the world with the skills and gifts and talents that only you uniquely has as a couple? So for Keith and I, Mm -hmm. you know, we believe our gift is to be open and vulnerable about our struggles and our relationship and to have the beauty and the calling to try to start a movement in this space of giving people hope that they're not alone and they can make it in their relationship. And um, yeah, it's just such a gift. I mean, how many men do you know would be vulnerable about sharing openly about their condition and their marital problems? openly in the world, not many people. And yet my husband has done that. He says, I want to share our pain to help others. Mm. He's supportive of it. Like he is the most courageous and brave man. I know that doesn't give up and continues to fight and say, well, if I'm going to have this pain, I want to have it help others. Like that's Mm. a gift. And to have someone that when I'm struggling, he's praying for me and he's like, I'm going to pray for you today. Um, So, there's beauty in the pain. And I guess that's once you grieve, once you figure out as a journey, once you start getting the help you need and, and knowing how to set boundaries and, and doing that self-care, you can get to a point where you can see that your relationship can be a gift to others and in your own life. So it's just, but you can't kind of skip some of those. Like, I don't think you can do it without going through grief. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do it without setting boundaries. I don't think you can do it with self, without self-care. So I think you have to do that work in order to get there. Otherwise, it might be fake right. or just a facade to make it seem like everything's okay, but it really isn't. 
right? It looks like all of these steps do fit in with one another and, and as you're saying, kind of require them to, at the very least, be addressed and taken into account uh, before you, if you want all of this to work together. Right. Can't just leave something out. Yeah. And um, one of the, there's a a marriage, one other marriage, like uh, uh, things are starting to come out, some resources, which is great. So we're trying to partner together. And there was a podcast, it's called the Mental Health Marriage, Mental, yeah, Mental Health Marriage. And um, she had said, you have to find something bigger than yourselves in order to stay because the relationship is harder. So whether that's you have kids and you want to use that, if it's that you believe in God, if it's your vows, something, because if there isn't something bigger holding you together, then you're not going to make it because it's more difficult. Yeah. What was that for you? Um, For me, it was the vows. And then I believe that um, we're supposed to be together. So a part of our journey prior to marriage was really praying about who my spouse was supposed to be. And I really felt like I was supposed to be with Keith. And so that's what stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does Keith share the same or, or is it, it can, can couples kind of have a, a different, uh, bigger thing? I think Keith is the same. However, I think couples can also have differences. Mm-hmm. So let's say one might think it's their vows or something else, but then another one might say it's the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we don't have kids. We've chosen not to have kids. Um, so that's not the thing that keeps us together, mm-hmm. but really these other ways do. So, But I do agree with what she said of it, there has to be something that keeps you together. Otherwise, it's easier probably to to be separated yeah all right so we're going to do some technical magic here and jump back in um so uh erin uh, is going to sound a little bit different she had to find a different mic but we're back and uh so we're just going to pick up where we left off so erin i'm curious about how since you have started um mental health strong how has it impacted your marriage yeah it's a great question i would say when we went on this journey you know in started with the book release you know Keith was very supportive of it but it was this is your thing Mm. this is what you want to do um and it's evolved to now where Keith says no this is our calling this is what I'm supposed to do with you and he built the website and different things and then in regards to our marriage it has transformed it because now we're learning how to work together from a business perspective, which we had never done before. And then now we have a board. So there's accountability in a different way Mm. on what we're doing. So I would say for us doing it has brought in this thing that we get to do together and use our gifts and talents. And so that's changed our relationship. It's also allowed where there's, you know, other people who are walking alongside us, which has been enriching and really deep relationships. And then it's been really hard because when we struggle, there's a lot of shame associated with it. Like, Mm -hmm. are we, you know, are we strong enough to be out in the front 
with this or a couple that's vulnerable if we're still struggling every, you know, different days or that Keith isn't healed of his condition. Mm. And again, those are internal thoughts of shame. It doesn't mean it's actual truth. I'm just saying that those are the things that we have to kind of wrestle with. Mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to that. We're not saying we've arrived. Right. We live with this every day. The condition is real and strong. Keith has made progress. I've made progress. Like he went from 12 to 16 hours a day to, you know, one to three hours, depending on, you know, the season. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I used to do rage and codependency and now it's, it's not, you know, it's a lot less. Um, doesn't mean I don't get angry or have spouts of it, but it's a lot less or I don't try to fix him, but now I'm letting him try to fix himself. Mm -hmm. So I would say the vulnerability, the accountability where we're trying to be leaders in this, but then also allowing people to know when we mess up so that we don't create the space where we are, we're not being true to what's happening either. I don't know if that explains it, but it's this interesting dynamic of both. No, it, it, that's that, that's perfect. Yeah, it, it explains that. Um, I, I also think it's realistic. It explains yeah. that no one's done. Mm-mm. As if to say, you know, you're you're going to get through this program and then you're or get through some program and you're never going to experience those symptoms again. Is that there's going to be that. Um, you know, I, I've, as I've described, it's it's a wet, a molding wet clay perspective. We kind of we kind of uh, I, I position it up into the shape that we want, and then and we st- step back and look at, or step back and look at it, and then it just starts to shift to the side and starts to fall. And we go, oh no! And we put it back together to where it should be, and then it starts to drift to the other side. And it's it is this constant process of kind of putting it back together. But I I, I could certainly hear that, or I could see someone experiencing that expectation that if you are putting yourselves out there as experts as as mm-hmm. guides in this that shouldn't you mm-hmm. have all your s together mm-hmm. exactly exactly and so we have to say well we're not claiming that we have all of it together we're claiming that we're learning we want to bring a community together so that people don't feel alone mm-hmm. and we're going to all learn from each other as we do this mm-hmm. and there might be a a part so like in our support group people wonder they ask me well why don't we do it more than once a month and Mm. i'm like because that's all i can do right now you know like i live this every day um and i have a job and you know so it's like knowing what you can and cannot do and and knowing the order of priorities for us is for us it's it's god the marriage work then the nonprofit. And it needs to take that order and not have it be in a different order. Um, so the nonprofit can't come before the marriage. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's really important and something that we hold ourselves accountable to. And we have certain days where we say, we're not going to talk about OCD. We're not going to talk about mental health strong. We're going to just be a couple. Yeah. And I think that's really important to remember is that you can take a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and obviously, it's, you know, it would be. I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, people can just turn their OCD off, but to right. say, but but to say, it's 
today we're going to do our best to put this to the side and we're and we're not going to make it our focus whereas i think some people can get burnt out with that perspective that every day it's this every day we're we're gearing up for battle and yes mm-hmm. every day, of course it's you know every day is a battle but we can we can mm-hmm. still refocus on the couple and it sounds like that's that that's a central component to this this approach is still it's reuniting the couple yes yeah, yeah. And that each person has to do their part in it. Right. What's been the most surprising thing about starting Mental Health Strong? Surprising. I guess. I think the support group has been the most exciting and surprising thing. So we just started it as part of the pandemic in July of last year. Mm -hmm. And so it hasn't even been a year. And to have people join all over the world from different time zones and the same thing is said, there is no one else that's doing this. Mm. We feel so not alone anymore. Uh, I have hope. You guys are my people. You are my community. Like that's, that feels rewarding. Mm. And I think I didn't, you know, I, I, I knew we were doing this, but I don't think I would have the emotions with it. Like, this is really cool, you know, to be able to be a part of this. And I tell people that this isn't Aaron and Keith's ministry. I believe that this is a nonprofit. It's a, it's a thing that, you know, I, God's given me, I believe the vision for it, but Mm -hmm. my role is the vision. And then everybody else, has different parts. Uh, I documented, you know, like someone helped with the website and someone helped with the emails and someone helped with the trademark and someone helped to get the nonprofit. There's over 40 people. Wow. And I'm like, I'm just one bubble of those 40 things. Mm-hmm. And Keith is one bubble, right? So this is all of us working together on this thing. Um, but I don't want anybody to say it's Aaron and Keith's thing. It's not like we're holding this lightly. We're just trying to be stewards of it. Mm. Yeah. It's to, it, it, it can be freeing to not think that you have to take the reins on every little bit, but to, but to use your resources as, as needed. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. So you've you've talked about the group, you've talked about your book, and what other ways is mental health strong, or what what other facets are there of mental health strong to to reach folks in need? Absolutely. So Keith built our website, it's www.mentalhealthstrong.com. And on there, there's resources. So all the resources from the book are there. The virtual support group is there. We also have started uh, couples webinars. Mm. So the idea is the support group is for the person in my shoes, you know, the person that doesn't have the diagnosis, the couples webinar is for the couples. Mm -hmm. Um, Although a person without their spouse can attend to, and we address some of the couples topics. And then um, we're, we're looking for an avenue of where Keith can pour into, you know, the person with the diagnosis. Um, And what does that look like? So when you're in a relationship and you have a diagnosis, what things should you be doing or what can you do? 
So you've, you've also talked about finding resources and connecting people to different resources. Um, I mean, it sounds like before you started this, there you, you've had to kind of hodgepodge together a bunch of resources. <laughs> what are, what are some um, what are some resources that you think were, were or that were really pivotal or really helpful for you, just either personally in your own journey, but also in the development of Mental Health Strong? Great question. I would say that. You know, the grief was very instrumental. Doing Celebrate Recovery was very instrumental. Having therapy was very instrumental. Um, and, you know, just what we talked about in the steps. I think as we put ourselves out there, now there's been where, like, um, a woman I met, she just released a book that's on marriage and mental illness. So we've connected and we're now looking to um, there's about five of us that are working together to put on a conference in the fall. And, you know, I found that one podcast. Um, so the idea is I want to help connect all of us to build a community. So we're not trying to do things individually and really do it together because we're not in competition. We're together trying to help make relationships work. And, that's the beauty of it is how do we all work together on this larger dream of helping couples, you know, not feel alone and figure this out together. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to take up all of your day in this, but uh, I appreciate all the time that you've, uh, you've given us, but uh, is there, if you could just encapsulate one thing for listeners or one thing perhaps for, for a, a loved one out there who is, or a couple out there who's struggling with someone dealing with mental health or addiction, what's one thing that you'd want them to know and to take to heart? I think I would say you're not alone. And I think that's the phrase I he felt and I felt, and it's a phrase that you'll see in a lot of my emails or correspondence, because what I hear from people in the support group is I'm not alone anymore. I think everyone feels so isolated in this. And so that's what I would want to leave you with is you're not alone and there's hope. And there's 11 million of us, at least out there in the United States. And once we start talking about this, the stigma can go down and we can start to help each other rather than feel shameful or, or feel um, judged by the conditions. Mm. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for sharing your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me and all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Well, best of luck with Mental Health Strong. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anybody or if, if people want to learn more about Mental Health Strong, you can go to uh, the website. But uh, until, until then, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for making it through that episode. Oh, man, what Aaron is doing, what Aaron and Keith are both doing is so amazing and fantastic. So I'm glad that I was able to have Aaron on. So again, everybody, if you have questions for Aaron, um, feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Send me that question and uh, and I will get in touch with Aaron again and have her on in a future episode to answer those questions. So everybody, please remember that uh, you can check her out. Check out uh, uh, her and Keith's program at mentalhealthstrong.com. It is spelled the way you think. Mentalhealthstrong.com. You can learn 
a little bit more about their events and speaking engagements and maybe how to get connected with them uh, there. So please remember, everybody, that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about treatment or mental health struggles in general, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Go over to the Find Help link, and I will do my best. To, or go over to the Find Help link, and you can learn a little bit more about uh, uh, some resources there. So, all right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.